You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Word, so it's going to be good because it's God's Word, okay? So let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you that we serve an amazing God this morning. Father, we realize, Lord God, there's only one way, and you are that way. Father, will you just allow us in the next few minutes to encourage, to challenge, that you would reveal yourself in a way that, that you haven't in a long time in our own personal lives, Father. We need to hear from you. We need to see you more clearly. We need to hear you more clearly and realize that you, Father, have the answer. Father, we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start in the Scripture in Judges chapter 17. And really with, with that, you think about those three words. And, and I, this last month when Jamie had asked if I could just come and share, you know, these are the three words that, that really I feel that God has given me for this morning. And, and it's crazy that I think about it that this whole month that God has just put these three words and really magnified them. And, and you think about this, our whole life is built upon how we react, how we respond, and is it relay or rely? It's rely, not relay, but sorry about that. May I probably send it that way. But, but you think about this, is everything that you do this morning, you either reacted, you responded, or you just relied on something this morning, right? And that's our whole life. And I think about if God has kind of wanting to do some work in our own lives this morning, it's how to react, it's how to respond, how to rely on him. And I'm going to just kind of give you some, some examples starting in the Old Testament because I think when you look at examples in, in Scripture, when we think about, when I thought about the word react, sometimes it becomes like, an, uh, like a negative right away. Or you reacted that way and it was a negative thing. Well, see, do you think that God wants us to react in a negative way? Of course not. So reacting is not a negative if you're allowing it to flow through Christ, right? So give me an example. Let's, let's turn to the book of Judges, chapter 17, verse 6. And this is what the verse verse says, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit. You know, and I think about you, you know, our own lives this morning is that God has put us in a position or allowed us to experience situations in our life where we think sometimes we're king, we're in charge, we're the ones that make decisions, and yet so many times we find ourselves in that same predicament is that everyone did as they saw fit. And maybe you've done something this week that you thought was right in your own eyes and all of a sudden didn't turn out very well, did it? Because you saw in your own eyes that, hey, I could do this. I could fix this. I could not allow this to just take part of, be part of my life and think it's going to be okay. And, and I've looked at that challenge and said, you know what? Everyone did as they saw fit. You ever struggled with that before? You know, and, and even, even in, in examples in the Old Testament, the, the next verse that I wanted to jump on was in Genesis. Great example of Abraham and Sarah where, again, Sarah was a little, getting a little impatient. And, and I want to use this to challenge us and kick it off. And look, let's read uh, Genesis chapter 16. It says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but, since, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said, 
And it says, um, so, can you go on? I'm sorry about that. Now, Sarah, Abraham, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Can the next one? We have it. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with, his, with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now, now think about this, this reaction. And really, we have to understand the, the, the kind of the, the picture here is that Abram was given a promise by God that he would have a child. And, and Sarah knew that. And at some point in our, in our own lives, you think about it, is that here we find Sarah, first, look what she first said, God has kept me. How many times when you think about the promises that God has made you and I, is that the first thing we do is we always take it personal, right? When that's not happening the way we want it to happen, or as soon as we want it to happen, we're saying, what's God doing here? That God has kept me from having a child, right? But isn't it crazy? The fact is that God had already promised Abraham that he was going to have a child, right? A father of many nations. And so many times in our own lives, it's the, our, our first reaction is that when we don't get things done our way or in our timely fashion, we start saying, what's going on? It's about me. God's keeping me. God's stopping me. God's interfering in me. What? It is so easy to react in that way. And it's, it's a challenge for us to think about this. That why is it right away when we're waiting for something to happen, we start focusing inward, Right? She took her eyes off of the what? The promise. The promise that God had made. And the second thing that I saw there was that, so not only the first reaction was she looked at herself, the next thing she does is she looks at her maidservant, Hagar. And how many times in our own lives, all of a sudden we start looking our inward and then we start looking outward. We start looking at other people, right, to some, find some sort of some satisfaction or contentment, or maybe I can use them, or God can use them. And the fact is, guys, you know what? God doesn't want to use anybody but himself. And yes, God will use other people, but it goes through him, right? And so it's crazy that since that didn't work out her way, she sees Hagar and says, maybe I can have a child through her. See, guys, you have to understand this morning is that when God gives you a promise, there's no shortcuts to that promise. Because God's going to do it the way he intended it to happen. So we see, so we say Hagar, number one, again, noticing, looking at herself, looking then looking at, at Hagar, and then she gets someone else involved. You ever feel kind of bad and all of a sudden you want somebody to join your pity party? Right? We, we're good at that. All of a sudden, so now, not only does she look inward, she looks at Hagar and she tells Abram, you know what? I, I, I have a maidservant there. Why don't you just go sleep with her and have a child? And God can give us a child that way. And I don't know about you. I mean, think about being in Abraham's shoes that day. Wait a minute. You're asking me to go sleep with our maidservant? It, it just doesn't make sense. And I don't know why Abram said yes. Because God gave who the promise? Abram. And guys, this morning I think about how we react to, to life and, and journeys and, and situations in our lives that 
our first response is that, wait a minute, God, why are you doing this to me? Why? And, and it's, it's easy to react that way because you know why? Because there, there's, there's no accountability because you're looking at yourself. God doesn't want you to look at yourself for the answer. He wants you to look at him for the answer, right? So that, again, the first example is that you think about Sarah. And yes, you know, it's crazy that now when Abram fathered a child from Hagar, you know we're still paying for that today, right? Think about that. We're still paying for that decision today. And so many of us this morning, we've reacted, we've looked inward, we've looked at other people, and we've got other people involved, and we, too, are paying that price still today, right? And God wants us to get rid of that, wants us to not allow Him to change that picture that even our past mistakes that God says, those can't get in the way anymore. Yes, I know you did things on your own. Yes, I know you blame me, but that, you know what? I still have a plan. And, and that's the great thing about this morning is I wanted to kind of use her as an example. Let's go to the second example in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And I'll run by them pretty quickly because I just don't want to run out of time. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian, and he hit him in the sand. Great reaction, right? Great reaction. It says, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting, and he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow brother, I think it says, or brethren. Next you follow a Hebrew. The man says, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. How's your reaction paying off, Moses, this morning? Think about that. Was Moses doing something bad? No, he was defending a brother of his. But isn't it crazy that so many times when we interfere in a situation, we take it too far? Could he have stopped him from beating? Yes, he could have. But he killed the guy, he hit him in the sand, and all of a sudden, now it's known all over where he's at. And he ends up having to flee because of his reaction. And I thought about that this morning. Let me kind of challenge you this morning is that God, I think, always has an opportunity for us to get involved. And when you see injustice, when you see situations in life, I believe as believers in Christ is that we have to step in and and do something about it. But there is a certain point that I believe that God has for us is that, yes, He wants you to get involved in things. He wants you to be part of things. But there's just some things that you have to allow God to finish, right? Because think about it, guys, is, is that we can do so much in our own lives But at some point, God says, that's good enough. And so many times, we take it further, and and we find ourselves in a situation where we're we're running like Moses. And some of us in our own lives today, we're running from things that we did because we reacted with the right motive, but we took it too far. You ever done that before? And and I think for us to look at this example of Moses, Moses is saying, listen, Moses, you could have just stepped in and stop this, this guy from getting beat up, and you would have been fine. But now all of a sudden you took it, you killed the guy, and now it's been made known, and now you're running. 
And, and what I think about this is that how many of us today are still running? Because we reacted and we took it too far. And I think for, for us, as you think about it, is that when God puts you in a situation, you got to realize that God's going to get it done, right? He's going to finish and complete the work that He began. And yes, He wants you to get involved. But don't think that you have to do it yourself. Don't think that you got to take care of business yourself because that's God's job. And yes, God will use you. And God will get you involved in situations. But there is a point where you have to understand that God's saying, you know what, that's good enough. Right? It's, it's good enough. Let's go to the next, next example. Then this is my favorite one here in 1 Kings chapter 19. I don't know if I put that in there or not. I'm, I wanna just, I'm sorry I did. This morning when I was just kind of going over my notes, I added this. So I'm going to read it out of here. Because I, I really thought about this story. And, and I, I thought about Elijah. And you guys know the story of Elijah, right? And I'll, I'll just give you a quick overview of that. Here Elijah was kind of showing off his God. He says, you want to see the power of my God? Check this out. And all these, these other men were calling on their God, and they were saying, you know, let's see you burn up this burnt offering, right? And it, it's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. And, and it says that, that um, Elijah kind of just was saying, let's see what your God can do. Let's just show me the power of your God. And we, and we know the story is that Elijah, I mean, this burnt offering is still staying there, and Elijah starts making fun of these, these people's God, and he says, Put some water on that burnt offering. I want to make sure it's nice and wet, okay? And, of course, they, they've soaked the, the, the burnt offerings, and, and, and Elijah calls on his God, and God just saps it up. Right after this, check this out. Right after this, someone gets, again, hears about what Elijah just did, and this is where we find ourselves in 1 Kings 19. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now think about this for a second. Right after showing off his God, he gets word that this lady, Jezebel, says, Hey, I'm coming after you. What does Elijah do? How does he react? How does he respond? He runs. The same guy that just showed off his God is running from a woman. Okay? Think about that. And it says here, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. How's your day going, Elijah? You've just shown the mighty power of God, and now you're running and hiding from Jezebel. And I, and I think so many times I thought about this, and I feel like, how can we incorporate this this morning? Is that... So many times God will bring a great victory in your life, right? He'll do some amazing things in your life. But right after that victory comes a great challenge, right? Comes a great challenge. And we think about that is that how many times, you know, we've just experienced a powerful manifestation of God's power and glory in our lives, and the next moment we're running from a situation because it looks different. And you have to understand, people, this morning is that 
God not only allows us to experience victory in our lives, you and I both know He, will, he's, he doesn't mind allowing us to go to a situation or circumstance that makes us stand up and say, wait a minute, you saw me through that one, you're going to see me through this one. Amen? Because it is, because I'm thinking, what is Elijah thinking here? Elijah, your, your God just, again, proved himself to you in a couple of chapters earlier, and now you get word that someone's chasing you or after you, and you're running. Why? How many of, of us this morning find ourselves running from a situation? And, and my challenge to you this morning is that we got to go back and let God be glorified in that situation. We've got to let God say, God, you know what? I don't know what it's going to look like, but man, you showed up the last time, and you're definitely going to show up this time. Amen? One more example. John, sorry about that, throwing you off there. John chapter 18. And I, I love this example. And it says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus says, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want, Jesus of Nazareth? They said, Jesus. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he has spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon gets right. This is the part right here. Then Simon Peter, okay, here, Mr. Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now, and, and I, I laugh at this, at this scenario here. Peter, for three years, had just seen Jesus do some amazing things, right? Amazing things. Peter walked on water. You know, he saw Jesus, you know, raise the dead. He healed all the sick. Now get this picture. Here's, here's Peter and here's Jesus. They're coming up to Jesus and they're saying, hey, uh, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says, that's me. Slick Peter, right? After seeing Jesus for three years, seeing the power of Jesus Christ, he pulls out his sword, cuts the guy's ear off, the high priest's ear off. Great reaction, bad reaction. Think about that. And I thought about this. Imagine if, if this would have happened. If, if here's Peter, and here's Jesus. And if Peter would have just stopped and says, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You've, you've faced opposition before, Jesus. What are you going to do? Or, or better yet, you going to take him out? I mean, think, think about that. Because Peter wasn't afraid to stand up, right? So, so we find ourselves as, as here's P, uh, Peter. He didn't look at Jesus. He pulls out his sword, cuts the guy's ear off. Great reaction, right? And, and you think about is that how many times do you and I find our, ourselves in that same scenario? Is that you're faced with a situation and you says, Jesus, I got this. I got, I got a sword. I can, I can take him out for you, right? And isn't it crazy that Jesus says, put that away, Peter. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? See, there's a plan. There's only one plan, people, only one plan. And that plan is going to be fulfilled. And I know a lot of times we want to interfere in that plan. 
But man, it's God's plan. Why would we want to get in the way of that plan? I mean, think about that. And I think about it is that Peter, man, he probably had the, he had a, he just had it going on. He's like, man, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to protect my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But see, you can't get in the way of God's divine plan for your life because it's His plan, not yours. And people, I know it's so many times we want to try to help God out. God doesn't need help. It's us that need the help. And if we can allow, turn that around. And I, and I think if Jesus would have told Peter, take him out, Peter would have, he would have did it anyway, right? But he didn't ask, Jesus, what do you want me to do here? He took matters into his own hands. And I think some of us find ourselves in that situation this morning as that we're trying to take matters into our own hands. And God's saying, listen, man, there's a plan. I got, I got to go through this. And so many times in our own lives, we have to go through things in our life so that God can show himself mighty in that situation. He does. And I know we don't enjoy that. We don't like that. But there is just some things that have to happen in order for us to, to see God's power manifested through your life. And, and, I, and I, I don't think that we wake up every morning and say, God, bring the challenge my way so I can see how awesome you are, right? We don't say that, but in reality, there is just some things that God's going to allow us to go through in our lives so that he can show you how awesome he is. And we don't have to interfere. We don't have to get in the way of God's plan. We just have to trust God's plan. So you think about these words, okay? And I just gave you some, some examples. And, and again, in, in the world's eyes, they're, they're not bad examples, even looking at it from the outside. But if you look at it through the inside of God's divine plan, it doesn't look as good. Because God has to, again, perfect in the work that He began in our lives. And I know it's a process. And I want to just finish up with a couple of, of examples that I think are going to encourage us. Because if you look at these, you know, we can kind of put ourselves in Peter's situation or in Elijah's situation or even Abram's situation. And at some time say, you know what? I've been there. I've done that. I've experienced that. I've tried to help God out. You know, I, I, I got impatient waiting on God. So I just went and tried to do some other way because his way was taking too long. We've all been there. So let me give you a couple of examples. And the first one is going to be found in the book of Acts, chapter 4. And we find Peter and John, good old Peter, in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And it's, we're going to go ahead and read the whole thing, and then I'll just kind of go over it. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming the, uh, in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and as the high priest was there, and so was Saiphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, this is, a, this is a response, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame 
and are being asked how he was healed, then I want you to know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Great verse. Now you think about this is that I wanted to kind of kick off with this one, but I think about the word respond. I mean, can you imagine how our life would be so different if we would respond the same way Peter and John responded, right? But see, you and I, we try to reason. We try to come up with different excuses of why we do what we do. And nowhere in scriptures does God say you have to defend him. He says you have to live for me, not defend me. And it's, it's, isn't it simplified for us? It's, it is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands healed. You think about that for a second. Is that what kind of response do you and I have in our own lives when people ask you, what is it, why is it that you do what you do? It is that name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that we stand and that we live through. Because you think about it, is that we don't have to explain anything to anyone, right? We don't. We just have to live this life that God has called us to live, and it's only through that name that we have to live it through. And it's because you think about it, is that you think that they're waiting for Peter and John to come up with this great reason of why this man was healed. And it says, the only reason, it's not about me, it's not about John, it's about the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that the power lies in and through, right? And guys, God, God I really believe like since 1987, that when me and Margie gave our lives to Christ, is that God has tried to make this, this journey, this walk with God, so simplified. Because we make it so complicated that we have to come up with 25 reasons of why we serve God when there's only one, because there's no other way, period. I mean, think about that. Is that we try to come up with excuses, we try to come up with reasons. There's only one reason. He's the only one to pay the price. He's the only one that can give us a ticket to heaven. He's the only one that can renew and restore us. How many reasons do we need? And, and I love the response of, of Peter and John is that, you know what? We're just doing, we're not doing this because we, have, we can heal people. We do it because that name that is above every name, we live our lives through. I mean, what, what a way to respond to situations in your life. When you're confronted with a situation, when you're faced with adversity, when you're questioned about your faith, is that you only have one answer. It's because of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's why we do what we do. And it just simplifies our lives this morning, people, is that God has given you one name, one message, and again, one plan, and He's asking you to go out there and fulfill that plan that He has for you. Amen? Isn't that awesome? What a response. One more. Let me give a couple more. Acts chapter 20. Verse 18. It says, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you? From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God and repentance, and have faith in our Lord Jesus. 
And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, check this out, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's awesome. Amazing. And, and you think about that, again, the response is that, man, if I can look at that verse over and over again, that I only want to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Think about the message. Think about the message of, and, and really in our response with the message. People this morning, man, God wants to, again, encourage us and challenge us is that He's given you a message to go out there and live and to allow God to be glorified. And think about the platform that He's given you. Regardless of how si- the size of the platform, every single one of us have one platform. It's your platform that God has given you. And God wants to use that platform to not only encourage, but to let people see what it looks like for someone who loves Jesus Christ. That's what your platform's all about. It doesn't matter what that platform is, guys. And I think in the sports world that we live in, of course, coaches and athletes, man, they've been given a, a pretty nice platform. And majority of the time, they use that platform for the wrong reasons. People are not encouraged by it. People are not built up by it. In fact, people are turned away because of it. And, and I thought about this the more, you know, <laughs> I was thinking about this on, on Thursday. Is like, God, why didn't you give me this message when I was meeting with the U of A students? Because this would have been great. So now I got to wait till they come back to school to share this message, right? But that's okay. But, but it is a message because in the sports world, everything's about what? Reacting. Everything's about reacting split second. You react, you respond, and you're relying on something or someone. And it's the same way in, in the Christian walk is that every minute we're reacting to something, we're responding to something, and more importantly, what are we relying on? Because today, you're relying on something. You're relying on something. Something is bringing you comfort. Something is bringing you some sort of security. It could be a relationship. It could be your bank account. But the fact is that you are relying on something or someone this morning. And, and, I, and I wanted to use this last verse, this last example, this last story about the rich young ruler, because it, it really says a lot to us this morning. And I, and I pray that I could make ju- do justice to this story in, in Luke chapter 18. It says, a certain ruler, he a- asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inher- inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Let me just stop there for a second. Why do you call me good? So wait a minute, you're calling me good, and there's only one person that's good, and it's God. So are are you calling me God? Why are you calling me good? And and, and I stopped there because I want you to think about that. Why do you call him God? Because if you're going to call him God, he's God, right? He can't can't be God in something else. He's either God or he's not in your own lives, right? So, So I think about that, that he says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. 
All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, right? Doing the right things, right? He's wealthy. He's keeping the commandments. He has it going on, right? In our eyes anyway. But Jesus says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard, who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we have to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left his home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come eternal life. You think about this as, as this rich, rich young ruler comes to Jesus, he's still lacking something. Why did he ask Jesus, what do I need to be saved? How can I inherit eternal life? And at some point, you and I, we look at the rich young ruler, and you guys have to understand, is Jesus didn't want his money. But the last word we talk about, reliance, rely, is that Jesus just wanted him to understand, is that, you know what? Your riches is what you rely on. I don't need your money. I don't want your money. But Jesus went straight to that because that what it was he was relying on in his life. And, and the challenge for us this morning is that there is a lot of stuff, man, that the world offers you and I. Lots of stuff. Security, financial security, and, and relationships, and, and things that make us feel good about ourselves. But in reality, we still lack one thing. And the challenge for us is that, that God is wanting to remind us this morning how we react, how we respond, and more importantly, on how we rely. Because if you think about that this morning, is that something is, is flowing through our lives, through our, uh, the way we react, the way we respond, and who we are relying on. And the interesting challenge for us this morning is that your life may be going really well today, but you still lack one thing. You're relying, again, like I said earlier, on, on maybe a relationship that makes you feel good. Maybe your, your, your bills are being paid and, and it feels pretty good. But Jesus would not say, hey, get rid of those things. He would say, don't stand on those things. Don't let those things in this world bring you contentment because only I can give you true contentment. And the fact is that we are standing this morning and, and really trusting in things that can be taken away from us like this. But if you allow your reliance and your life to be totally on God this morning, no one can take that away from you. And if you want to be able to put your life on something, we all know this morning, it's that we have to totally rely on Jesus Christ. And, and I hope this morning that you can think about is that some of us reacted in a bad way this morning on the way to church. It happens, right? 
But do you understand that God wants to change the way those three words, react, respond, and rely? If you can put those three words up there, that'd be awesome. Think about those three words. Rely, or re- react, respond, and rely. Is that God saying, can we switch those words around and let's put rely so that we can respond, so that we can react? Because if everything that we do goes through our, not our, our relay, everything goes through our reliance on Christ, God uses it for His glory. And we can respond and we can react exactly the way God wants us to react and respond to situations in our life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so in awe this morning that we can call you Father. That Lord, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that today, on June 1st, 2014, we can have a living hope that we can rely on a, on a living God. And Father, this morning as, as we close, Father, my challenge to those of your people that they will just take a short inventory of their life and ask themselves, what am I relying on? Am I relying on anything else but the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Then my life is out of order. Father, teach us how to rely so that we can respond and we can react through our reliance on our God. And Father, I challenge these people this morning, Lord. As a rich young ruler, they lacked one thing. Their reliance was not on Christ. That if there's anybody here this morning that has been relying on relationships, finances, their jobs and everything else, that today we realign our lives and let everything flow through our reliance on Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give us. And Father, may we, Lord God, repent this morning because we have confided and trusted on other things but the real thing, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. And Father, I just pray, Lord God, that Jamie would challenge these, Father, that those that maybe don't know you, that today they would leave with a total reliance on Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.